0: Talking benefits, 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 talking, talking, talk a little bit about benefits Yeah, benefits. Talking benefits.
1: You are listening to Talking Benefits. Every month we cover the top stories in retirement and health care, the latest benefits, hot topics, and whatever else the industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held.
0: I'm Ann Patterson. I'm Julie Stick. And I'm Kelly Colesrud. Now let's talk benefits.
2: All right, podcast team. Favorite Christmas song? Go. I can start. <laughs> I'm going with Anything by Mannheim Steamroller. The First Noel.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Uh, oh, Holy Night.
1: Uh, it's not a Christmas song, but there's a Phil Spector Christmas album that oh. is wonderful.
0: Sounds fabulous. If you're talking the whole CD. Sure. Uh, my favorite is by an all-female Irish group called Cherish the Ladies. Ooh. I start listening to it. Oh, maybe July. <laughs> well,
3: if we're talking albums, there's the Carpenters oh, uh, first so Christmas oh, yeah. album. Really great. Yeah. You date yourself, Julie. I know. <laughs> I don't okay. care.
2: <laughs> I can't believe it's December already. This year has really flown
3: by. I don't know that I'm ready to be wrapping presents yet, though. Maybe if you can listen to the Carpenters
0: while you wrap oh, presents. okay, that might work. Yeah, yeah, try that. Yeah, for me, the holidays are always crazy. This year has been very active in benefits, too.
1: Kelly, that's why we've decided to recap this year for this episode. So here we go.
4: Talking benefits, top five benefits news stories. Number one, ACA came out to play. Oh,
2: wow. That was quite dramatic. Just like the developments with the Affordable Care Act
0: this year, right? Yep. The ACA has grabbed many headlines during the past several years, and 2018 was no exception. With Republicans Mm -hmm. controlling the White House and both chambers of Congress, I'd sum up the ACA developments in 2018 by saying there has been a persistent dismantling of the law. Many of the developments were related to ACA's provisions for individuals and the ACA health insurance marketplace exchanges, but some of the developments affect employers and plan sponsors. What should employers
2: particularly be watching for with ACA changes?
0: Well, in January of this year, the excise tax on high-value health plans, often called the Cadillac tax, was delayed two more years out to 2022. Another change is the ACA requirement to offer contraceptive coverage without cost sharing. In 2016, an accommodation had been allowed for religious organizations with religious or moral objections to birth control. In 2018, new interim rules were issued that immediately canceled the requirement for any employer with religious or moral objections to the rule. Legal decisions stopped the implementation of that new rule, but similar rules were released just this month. Additional lawsuits about this provision are likely to follow.
2: Kelly, anything else that might be of interest to employers? Weren't some types of health plans redefined to make them more appealing for a broader audience?
0: Yes, you're right again. The requirements were changed for association health plans, short-term limited-duration health insurance, and health reimbursement arrangements, also known as HRAs, to make them all easier to access and more attractive to employers and individuals. Not everyone agrees with the changes, and there are lawsuits pending and new state laws that challenge these changes.
2: What about the employer mandate um, and all that Form 1095 reporting? Anything new with that?
0: Well, the employer mandate is still in place, Okay. and the reporting component stayed pretty much the same. But the IRS did start sending out the first penalty notices to employers that didn't offer ACA-compliant health plans. Also, they sent notices to employers that didn't file the forms or filed them incorrectly. The first group of penalty notices focused on the 2015 plan year, and now they're starting to send out notices related to the 2016 plan year. So if employers get
2: something in the mail with 2016 on it, they should not discard that thinking it's an old piece of mail or... (laughs) Exactly. If it's from the IRS... Don't just don't just throw (laughs) it away. Good advice. That's that's always a good (laughs)
0: one.
2: (laughs) What about other ACA changes aimed at individuals and the marketplace exchanges?
0: Well, the biggest change came as part of the tax reform law passed at the very end of 2017. That new tax law included a provision that dropped the ACA individual mandate penalty to zero dollars. So, in other words, it negated a big incentive for individuals to have health insurance. In addition, the federal government removed or greatly reduced programs that support the ACA public health insurance exchanges. As with some of the changes I mentioned before, there are lawsuits pending that challenge these changes. And in addition, some states have passed new state laws to reinstate some of the ACA provisions, such as the individual mandate.
2: Okay. So the main takeaway for employers is that the ACA is still law, so they have to keep offering ACA-compliant health plans and reporting that they do so.
0: Yes, that's true for the moment. But there are legal cases, proposed bills, and regulations that may change that.
4: So stay tuned. Talking benefits, top five benefits news stories. Number two, prescription drug costs. Employers got their fill on our extreme escalation.
1: As benefits practitioners, our listeners have probably grown accustomed to headlines addressing the escalating costs of prescription drugs. A recently released congressional report stated that the price of commonly prescribed brand-name drugs have risen at a rate of nearly 10 times the annual rate of inflation over the past five years. In May, the Trump administration proposed several tactics to lower prescription drug costs. Julie, can you help me break it down for the listeners? Sure, let's walk through
3: this, Justin. All right, the first proposal was to restructure how pharmacy benefit managers, also known as PBMs, negotiate with drug makers and then curtailing the rebates that PBMs make use of. And since uh, the proposal, two PBMs, CVS and Express Grips, have announced new programs to address rebates and they did that earlier in December.
1: The second tactic is the banning of gag clauses on pharmacists. These clauses prevent pharmacists from telling patients about lower-cost alternatives that are not covered by their health plans. Uh, In October, President Trump signed two bills into law that would eliminate these gag clauses.
3: All right. Another proposal was to change U.S. trade policy to address the disparities between the price that purchasers in the United States pay and the prices that purchasers in other countries pay. And in fact, in July, the Department of Health and Human Services announced a new working group to explore the importation of prescription drugs from other countries, especially to combat sudden price increases in specific drugs.
1: And similarly, in October, the Trump administration proposed having Medicare base what it pays for some of these expensive drugs on the average prices in other industrialized countries, such as France and Germany, where prices are much lower than they are here in the States. Uh, this proposal is in the early stages of rulemaking, and it is currently awaiting public comment. Okay, a couple of other
3: ideas that were included in President Trump's blueprint uh, was the idea of approving more similar but cheaper biologic products to treat cancer and other diseases. And another was to increase drug price transparency by making drug manufacturers disclose the list prices of these drugs in all those TV ads Mm -hmm. that we see. Now, there hasn't been much movement on those two proposals.
1: Other interesting developments include the mega-mergers of CVS Health with Aetna and Cigna with Express Scripts. The mergers haven't secured complete government approval yet, but if they do, they could have a big impact on the industry.
4: Talking Benefits' top five benefits news stories. Number three, the opioid crisis.
2: As we all know, the opioid abuse crisis has been a top news story for the past couple of years. The president declared it a public health emergency in late 2017. And various stories, studies, proposals on the topic were released this year. Now, according to data from the Department of Health and Human Services, in 2016 and 2017, 11.4 million people have misused prescription opioids. So over 42,000 died from overdosing on opioids, which is over. 130 opioid related deaths per day. It's a huge and problem, it's tragic. very sad.
1: And Anne, these trends were echoed from a employer perspective as well. According to our 2018 study on mental health and substance abuse, more than one half of responding organizations have seen a increase in the number of opioid related claims in the past five years. This October, a sweeping bipartisan law was enacted that focuses on addressing this crisis. It creates, expands, and reauthorizes programs and policies across almost every federal or agency, aiming to address different aspects of the opioid crisis from prevention to treatment to recovery.
2: Earlier this year, several states and cities across the U.S. filed lawsuits against opioid manufacturers and distributors, and they said that they started the problem with a misleading marketing push in the mid-1990s. And how they did this was they underplayed the risk of opioids and exaggerated their benefits, which led doctors to over-prescribe. So this has been happening for years and years. And the goal of this lawsuit is to get kind of a tobacco-like settlement agreement We'll see what happens, if that helps
1: anything. Uh, And the good news on this front is that several pharmacies and PBMs have voluntarily adopted new policies that limit opioid prescriptions to far shorter durations. Also, the death rate from opioid abuse seems to have reached a little bit of a plateau recently. Even so, this crisis has had a devastating effect on employees and their families. Absolutely.
4: Talking benefits, top five benefits news stories. Number four, the fiduciary rule. Do agencies think it's a FI do or a FI don't? In March,
3: a panel of judges from the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals vacated the Department of Labor's rule, saying that the agency had exceeded its rulemaking authority in adopting a new advice definition, and it acted arbitrarily and capriciously. That's hard to say. I hate it when they do that. Yeah. <laughs> in adopting. We start
2: saying those words more. <laughs>
3: <laughs> in adopting the rule as a whole. In other words, they ruled that the DOL's rule was not, quote, reasonable, unquote. The court issued an official mandate vacating the rule just this past June. Then the Department of Labor said in an announcements and in a field assistance bulletin number 2018-2 that they will not be enforcing the DOL rule. This means that firms that changed their
1: policies
3: to comply with the rule are okay for now.
1: Julie, what about those firms that did not change their policies? Well, there's
3: a bit of uncertainty in that area, Justin, a kind of limbo, if you will. Some experts think the old five-part fiduciary test that was first spelled out back in 1975 is back in force. Other experts caution that it's safer to stick with the new rule, even though it's been vacated
1: seems pretty vague. So uh, where do you think this leaves us other than in a little bit of a mess here? (laughs) A little bit of a mess is true.
3: The Department of Labor is now considering a regulatory option in light of the Fifth Circuit decision. So according to the fall 2018 agency rule list that the agencies put out a couple of times a year, a final rule from the DOL is expected to be released in September of 2019.
1: And what about the SEC? Now that's a good
3: question. Yes, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, is involved in this issue too. In April of 2018, they released their proposed regulations geared at broker-dealers and advisors. However, their proposed rules did not include a uniform fiduciary standard, nor did they define what is meant by best interest. Their comment period ended in early August. And also looking at the agency rule list that I mentioned earlier, the SEC plans to issue a final rule on this topic in September of 2019 as well.
1: Okay. So Julie, does this mean that those two agencies could work together on the standard? It's possible.
3: It's possible. And in the meantime, in the absence of federal consensus, uh, New Jersey is considering developing its own state fiduciary standard that would be applicable to broker dealers, agents, and investment advisors.
4: Okay. Talking benefits, top five benefits news stories. Number five, paid leave. Whether it's leaving on a jet plane on that midnight train to Georgia or leave me alone, employees want to be paid.
3: So there is one type of benefit that all employees love and appreciate a lot, and it's paid leave. Now, Here, in the United there. States, as yeah, I love it. we all love it, don't <laughs> we? So in the U.S., as, as you all know and as our audience knows, there really are no federal laws that mandate that employers have to provide any type of paid leave to their workers for any type of purpose. There is the Federal uh, Family and Medical Leave Act, which we call FMLA, that mandates 12 weeks of unpaid leave for employees who are eligible to take care of a child, a spouse, or a parent, or if they themselves are ill.
2: I feel like we've been hearing a lot about paid sick and family leave lately. Julie, why do you think that is? Well, you're right, and we have been hearing
3: a lot about this and why it warrants a spot on our top five list here is there's been a lot of activity. So, but much of the activity in these two areas of paid sick and paid family leave, it's been happening at the state or local level. There is one exception, though, that I want to mention at the federal level. At the end of 2017, as part of the tax reform law that was passed, Congress included a tax credit for employers that voluntarily choose to provide paid family and medical leave to their employees. So specifically, employers that pay half wages to employees out on leave get a tax credit of 12.5% of the amount of wages paid. Now, if an employer pays more than half wages, the tax credit increases incrementally up to 25%. So the tax credit is available only when the paid leave is given to employees who make less than $72,000 a year. And the credit will be in place through 2019. And at that point, it will be analyzed for its effectiveness before it's decided whether or not this credit should be extended. Now, this past September, the IRS issued guidance and frequently answered questions on this tax credit, and they asked people uh, to give them comments and feedback. The comment period was open through November 23rd. And just for other benefits nerd enthusiasts out there, (laughs) in case you're wondering where you can find those FAQs and that guidance, it's IRS Notice 2018-71.
2: Perfect. You've convinced me that this deserves a spot in the top five benefits news stories, Julie. Okay, good, good, good. I feel like there were a lot of different family leave bills introduced into Congress that got some attention this year. Is that correct? You're
3: right. Yes. So at the federal level, there were a couple prominent bills, one by a Republican. It was introduced by Senator Marco Rubio, Mm -hmm. and one bill was Democratic, introduced by Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. And there was a subcommittee of the Senate Finance Committee. They held a bipartisan hearing this past July to talk about this topic and these bills. But despite that, neither of these bills did advance in the current Congress.
2: Sure, but quite a bit of flurry. You mentioned state and local activity. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So as often what happens
3: in the benefits world, if there's a lack of federal legislation or guidance, state and local governments kind of step in to fill the the void. They move into action. And we've seen this in the retirement arena, for example, with uh, what's been happening with the idea of state-run retirement programs. So for paid leave, there are currently 11 states and the District of Columbia that require employers to offer paid sick time to their workers. There are also 21 cities and counties with paid sick leave ordinances on the books. And this is an area with a lot of flux right now. Uh, For example, there is some action to change existing law in Michigan and in Austin, Texas right now. So something to watch. And there are other parts of the country where bills are being considered.
2: Julie, what about state activities surrounding paid family leave?
3: There are six states plus Washington, D.C. that have laws on the books that require employers to provide paid family leave. The laws have gone into effect in four states, in California, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. And there are laws in Washington State and Washington, D.C. that will go into effect in 2020. And there's a law in Massachusetts that will begin in 2021. There is one city, San Francisco, that has a paid family leave ordinance, and it was implemented a few years back to supplement what was provided under the California state law.
2: This patchwork of state and local laws must be challenging for employers that operate in multiple states, and I think it was Kelly earlier today that used Kansas City as an example, which would be common to have employees both in Missouri and Kansas.
3: You're right, Ann. You are definitely right. It is
0: a bit of a headache. So that was our last top story. Is that correct? Yep. Even though a ton happened last year, we had to make the cut somewhere.
1: That was a great roundup. Uh, It's hard to believe that all that has happened just this past year.
0: Yeah. And if that wasn't enough news for you, we've got our predictions for what's to come after this quick break. Hey, Talking Benefits listeners, we've got something really great planned to kick off 2019, a multi-part special on mental health starting in January. We'll be digging into how it impacts your participants, the workplace, and your benefits plan design. So if you haven't already, subscribe to Talking Benefits so it automatically appears in your podcast feed.
2: 2018 is coming to a close, but there are a few things we think you should keep your eye on as they develop next year.
1: So without further ado, here is your 2019 watch list.
4: Like peering into a crystal ball, it's the talking benefits 2019 benefits watch list.
0: First on our watch list is wellness incentive regulations. Because of a 2017 court decision on how voluntary incentives are defined for wellness programs, the current regulations on this topic will be vacated in 2019. In other words, as of January 1st, these rules are basically thrown out. The court suggested that the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, which is the federal agency that wrote the original rules, should write some new rules. Although the EEOC thought they might be able to issue proposed rules by January 1st, the agency is not going to make that deadline. Instead, the EEOC is estimating that it will issue proposed rules no sooner than June 2019. Because the regulation process usually includes proposing rules, then a public comment period, followed by a review of the comments, it's likely that it would be at least 2020 before there are final rules on wellness incentives. So question, Kelly, what should employers
2: do about their wellness program incentives that are starting January 1st?
0: That's a good question. There will probably be a period of uncertainty, and that's why we've put this topic on our watch list. Employers that have or are considering wellness programs will have to monitor developments. And, of course, we'll be watching closely for any guidance or new regulations, and we'll share that information with our members and customers through various channels as soon as it's available. Perfect. Okay, retirement legislation
3: takes the second spot on our watch list. Among the many retirement plan bills introduced into the current Congress, two got the lion's share of attention throughout 2018. The Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act, or RESA, and the Family Savings Act. In fact, the latter bill, the Family Savings Act, was passed by the House in September as part of a tax reform 2.0 package. In these waning days of this lame duck Congress, there's been talk that a new retirement bill will be introduced by the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, Kevin Brady. Or it may be tacked on as an amendment to a currently pending
2: bill. Julie. Julie. Mm -hmm. Not to interrupt, Mm -hmm. but does that bill have anything to do with the Civil War? Am I crazy? No, it actually does. It's called the Shiloh
3: National Military Boundary Adjustment and Parker's Crossroads Battlefield Designation Act, or H.R. 88.
0: Wow. Oh, the mysteries of Congress.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Or another possibility is that it may get wrapped into government funding legislation.
1: Julie, can you tell us what this is all about? Sure. Uh,
3: This possible legislation is called the Retirement, Savings, and Other Tax Relief Act of 2018. It contains many of the same provisions that we saw in RESA and the Family Savings Act. For example, there are provisions in there that relate to retirement plan loans, automatic enrollment into plans, Safe Harbor 401k plans, required minimum distributions, and also multiple employer plans. And as an aside, this is multiple employer plans or MAPS, not multi-employer Taft-Hartley plans. And if you're curious about what the heck those things are, check out our most recent episode, episode number 20 that we did in November. And the provisions that I've just listed here are not an exhaustive list. Uh, There are more items covered in this potential bill.
1: Julie, the Retirement Savings and Other Tax Relief Act of 2018... If this ends up becoming a bill, will it be passed in 2018? That is a very good question, Justin. Um, if it
3: ends up being introduced as a standalone bill, it could possibly pass the House, but it does seem unlikely that it would pass the Senate. However, there are chances that some sort of retirement legislation could pass in the next Congress. Julie, why do you think that is? Well, first, many of these retirement plan provisions have bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. And then second, it's looking as though a Representative Richie Neal, who's a Democrat from Massachusetts, will become the next chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. And he's been a supporter of several of these recently discussed retirement legislative proposals. And also in the Senate, it's reported that the Finance Committee will be chaired by Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, and he's sponsored retirement plan reform legislation in the past.
0: Watch list item number three the DOL overtime rules. Well, for the past couple of years, we've watched the Department of Labor efforts to identify a new appropriate salary level threshold to be used to determine exemptions from minimum wage and overtime requirements. This would be for executive, administrative, and professional employees. A final rule came out in May of 2016, changing the threshold from $23,660 per year to almost double up to $47,476 per year. The level, the $23,000 hadn't been changed in a number of years, and that's why they were going to make such a big jump. The rule was to become effective in December of 2016, but a federal district court halted the rule in November of that year. The issue and the rule have been in limbo ever since, but according to the most recent list of rules that federal agencies are going to address, the DOL indicated that they plan to release a proposed rule on overtime in March of 2019. Some experts speculate that the salary threshold will be increased from the current $23,660 per year, but perhaps not quite as high as the amount specified in the 2016 rule.
3: Number four on the watch list is multi-employer plan solvency. And in this instance, I am talking about multi-employer Taft-Hartley plans. Now, although most multi-employer defined benefit pension plans are in good financial shape, there are about 115 of them that are in poor shape. Some of these plans are very large, and should they become insolvent, they could disrupt the entire multi-employer system and the PBGC's multi-employer program. Throughout 2018, we watched the activities of an ad-hoc congressional committee. It's a bipartisan committee called the Joint Select Committee on Solvency of Multi-Employer Plans. They held hearings, they gathered testimony, and they gathered comments from stakeholders as they attempted to identify possible solutions to these problems. They were charged with proposing legislation by the end of November of 2018 to be voted on before the end of this year. They were not able to meet that deadline, but the committee's co-chairs announced that they still feel a bipartisan solution is attainable, and they continue to work to find it. So we'll see what's proposed in 2019.
1: And in the meantime, troubled plans continue to look for solutions, including increased employer contributions, plan mergers, plan partitions, changes to adjustable benefits, and possible benefit reductions.
2: I feel like this should have made it higher on the watch list. Uh, But last but not least, number five, we're talking about medical marijuana. Oh,
3: that was That was funny, you guys. Come on.
2: (laughs) All right. All right. Here's the deal with medical marijuana. In 2018, voters in three additional states approved the use of marijuana for medical purposes. So those were Oklahoma, Missouri, and Utah. And that brings us to 33 states and D.C., The state rules for medical marijuana are not the same in each of those states. As a reminder, however, because marijuana is still illegal federally, ERISA health plans cannot cover medical marijuana. So just further complicates everything. As an aside, 10 states plus D.C. have decriminalized or legalized marijuana for recreational use. And the big unknown is whether the growing number of states... Uh-oh, oh, another gosh. pond. Oh, yeah, I That's snuck true. that one in there. Whew. So the big unknown is whether this growing number of states have approved medical marijuana use will still result in a change at the federal
1: level. And do you have any other burning questions about medical <laughs> marijuana? Oh.
2: oh, Well, everyone, to be blunt, oh. <laughs> there are a couple more questions. For example, will more states follow suit? And then on a national level, will the U.S. follow Canada and other countries that have legalized marijuana? And if so, will it be limited to medical use or expanded to include recreational use as well? And then if medical marijuana is legalized at the federal level, will benefit plans eventually cover it? So a lot of questions to keep us on our toes in 2019. We're waiting for the fog to clear.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> Roner. So that's it for this episode. You might have noticed a different voice in the mix on this episode. We wanted our benefits news coverage to be authentic, so we brought in a real news anchor. Our special thanks go out to Milwaukee CBS 58 morning anchor Mike Kirkoff for his vocal stylings on
1: the story intros. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Thank Mike. Mike. And we'd like to give a listener shout out to Jeff Reynolds of the Alaska Tanker Company located in Beaverton, Oregon. He's a self-described faithful listener who loves our bad puns, which I will take personal responsibility for, although <laughs> Anne did a great job this month. I think <laughs> you
2: won that one, Justin.
1: <laughs> Thank you all for reaching
3: out. We'd love to hear from you too. Got a topic suggestion, some adoring kudos, or you just want to let us know you're out there? Email us at podcast at Thanks for listening.
1: We will talk to you next month, which is actually next year if you like what you hear please rate us on itunes it helps others find the podcast and subscribe to it on itunes the apple podcast app stitcher or whatever podcast app you prefer so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device today's program is copyrighted in 2018 by the international foundation of employee benefit plans all rights reserved the opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel
2: Julie, can I ask you about the Civil War? Because that, I mean, that half. to She likes this, right? the Civil War. Oh, it so came
0: from the lame duck.
2: <laughs> we can just have a quick little mention of it. Because I think it's interesting. I won't say I think... that I love the Civil War, though. Okay. <laughs> Buff. I think you were just talking earlier today, Julie. What if you're in St. Louis and you're half Not St. Louis. Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. Delete that. delete. Delete. <laughs>
0: You're going to have a lot for the laugh track from this episode. Okay, <laughs> settle down. All right.
3: Okay, now you've got to open your presents and I'll open <gasps> them immediately. Oh, so the underwear. I figured what they might be, but.
1: Underwear? Yes.